This podcast is brought to you by Honey Badger. Let's face it, your code is going to have errors. Even code written by an amazing, outstanding, meticulous developer such as you. I know. But when bad things happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error, uptime, and cron monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform, saving you time and cash. Sustain listeners get 30% off for six months. Simply mention Sustain when signing up, and they'll apply the discount to your account. No credit card required. Use Honey Badger. It'll make your DevOps awesome. Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source in the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Why are we having a repeat guest on this podcast? Because we are. We have the awesome Kevin Owaki talking to us today from his home in Boulder. Kevin, how are you doing? Hello. Thanks for having me again. We have two panelists today, Eric Berry. Hey, everybody. And Justin Dorfman. Hello, everyone. All right. So, Kevin, what does Gitcoin do and what are you doing there these days? So, Gitcoin's mission is to grow and sustain open source software. Gitcoin is a place that you can get coins if you're a software developer. We do not have a token of our own. Most people on our network will earn ETH or DAI, which are the two of the biggest tokens on the Ethereum blockchain network. And so far, we've done $5.9 million of rewards to open source software over the last 18 to 24 months. That's ridiculous. That's a lot. One of the things that we want to talk about today is new methods. As you said earlier, before we started this podcast, it's not 2017 anymore. So this isn't exactly blockchain will save the world. It's much more, what do we do with what we have? How is it working? How do we get over yeah. the the hump of teaching people about UX and, or maybe you should actually summarize this. What's changed yeah. in the past couple of years? Yeah. I, mean, I still think that like blockchain could change the world. I'm just more grizzled after having gone through the last couple of years and there's way less hype and rainbows and unicorns and way less, you know, fly by night people who are in the industry anymore. Yeah. So my belief is that we have programmable money. And so maybe we could program our values into our money and we value open source software maintenance. Don't seem to have a way to maintain open source software sustainably financially in the fiat world. And so, you know, what if we could combine these things and create a better world for open source software developers? That's sort of like the abstract philosophical reason why I think that the design space is interesting. The actual tangible reason is that there's $400 billion in this open source financial system and all of the money that used to go to some back office on Wall Street is now going to open source software developers and Gitcoin just wants to be the rails that those those people find their software developers and pay them. So that's kind of why I think the design space is interesting. But yeah, ICOs is not a thing anymore. 2017 ICOs was a thing in the blockchain space. Now the hot new trend is DeFi. So basically, well, we can get into DeFi, what DeFi is if you're interested, but many of your listeners probably haven't heard much about blockchain since 2017, but it continues to grow and evolve. And I'm still here chugging along, trying to make open source better. But if the hot new thing is DeFi, what is it? So DeFi stands for decentralized finance for those of us who are skilled at reading between the lines. And basically the idea is to create economic systems that compete with banking systems in the real world. So 
Now there's this thing called stable coins. If you don't like the volatility of crypto, then you can use stable coins where I own this coin called DAI, where one DAI is equal to about $1. So I can yep. get parity with the legacy banking system in the blockchain ecosystem. And then I can earn interest on it with this thing called CI, which stands for compound DAI. And I yep. can earn 2 or 3% per year on a savings account in the blockchain ecosystem. So it's kind of an open source financial system that's competing with CFI, centralized finance, with the old Wall Street system. So that's just pegged though, right? So it still has the same volatility as the dollar would have. It's just pegged to current currencies. Exact same as the fiat dollar. And there's euro ones. There's for many major currencies, there's stable coins. Interesting. Is there any way to basically make some sort of mutual funds out of all the different dollars, out of all the different major currencies that you can actually stabilize yeah. across them? Yeah, so that's actually what Facebook and Libra was going to do is basically have like a basket of currencies and they would be like dampened to volatility because it would have the euro and the US dollar and probably like the Chinese yen or something like that. But, you know, the reason why this matters for open source software developers is that DAI is the number one token that people use on the Gitcoin network. So that $6 million that we've distributed to open source software developers feels really great when you earn an ETH and it goes up 30% when you earn it, but it feels really bad when it goes down 30% when you earn it. So a lot of people like to earn in stable coins because you got to pay your mortgage in a stable unit of account. So I have a question that might be silly. I'm, it's summer for me, so I spent most of my time outdoors and not on my computer. But I did read this morning that you know the last quarter was the worst in human history as far as GDP, basically for anyone. Like Things are not doing well out there. But then the tech sector is like, eh, we're mostly yeah. doing okay. You know, I mean, the, the big giants are doing fine. They're making record profits right now. And pharma is doing yeah. what pharma does. But I guess my question is, have the currencies shifted in this stable currency market? And has that affected DAI? Has that affected Gitcoin mm -hmm. in any way? Like, have you seen less percentages going out because of the current downturn yeah. in the global economy at all? Or For sure, yeah. I think that what's going on in the economy is wrenching, I think, for anyone who works in retail, who is on the front lines and would just... Like, I, I just can't even fathom yeah. how hard it is for people, who, not only who have the economic damage, but who have gotten the coronavirus. It sounds really nasty. So, yep. you know, that's the first thing. But, you know, we're a remote work company and we help software engineers work from home. Um, speaking of being outdoors, I'm actually on outdoors and on my computer right now. I really like fresh air during the day. I can hear but, the blue um, jay in the background. It's pretty yeah, cool. that might make it into the podcast. But yeah, so, I mean, I think that there's a bunch of things that are going on in, from an economics perspective that... I don't fully understand, but one of the sort of PCs that people have in the blockchain space is what if we could create currencies that have a hard cap that no government, no politician could decide to print more of and right. debase your own savings. Like Bitcoin, the whole meme is 21 million will only ever exist. You know, you compare that to the US dollar, which they just printed 9 trillion of them or something like that. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I didn't come on the podcast to talk about economics that much. So What's happening in the economy is awful for people who are on the front lines in retail, but it has the side effect of printing a lot of dollars to shore up the economy. And that had the side effect that Bitcoin and Ethereum have gone up 40 or 50% since the crisis has started. So basically, I think that people really believe in the meme of scarcity. And that's why crypto has almost become a, a sort of a safe haven for people who don't trust their local government not to keep printing money. Since the start of the COVID crisis that we've seen globally, there's been a lot of economic struggle. And I think a lot of people looked at blockchain as like, okay, now's your time to shine. And I'd like to know your perspective on that. Has blockchain 
shown, is that the right word, shown through this process? Have they stepped up? Or do you see that maybe this is not the time where blockchain would be more accepted? I guess I would imagine that this whole process this year would make people wake up to the idea that maybe we need to have more control over our economy, over our, our, the structure of our economy. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that like there's Gitcoin is a blockchain company. I mean, we're only one character off from Bitcoin, so there's no escaping that. But the other way I would categorize this is remote work. And so, you know, I think that there's lots of people out of work right now and we're sort of experimenting with ways that we could reach those people and provide them opportunities to earn in crypto. Because I think that getting a software engineering degree is, is one of the easiest, not easy, but like one of the quickest paths to a middle-class life these days. And so that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about, helping people find 21st century jobs, especially in parts of the world that they're not able to find access to the Western labor markets. We have lots of users in Eastern Europe and in Nigeria that don't have access to those markets already. And then coronavirus has kind of compounded the issues with local working environments in those local jurisdictions. I don't know that I would be able to speak about the blockchain ecosystem broadly. It's kind of like saying, is the internet rising to the occasion? I think that the internet has created unprecedented access to information, but there's also unprecedented access to disinformation. And so there's a double-edged sword with any technology. And I think that blockchain is providing access to Western financial markets. Just having access to the dollar, if you're in Venezuela, is a big deal. But you know, there's also pump and dump scams. And that's just because technology is a double-edged sword. And what we see is a manifestation of human nature using that technology. The internet has had broader impact because it's been around for longer. The internet of money, which is how I think about blockchain programmable money, has been around for about five to seven years. And I think it's still, it's still like the AOL dial-up days of the blockchain space. And so I don't think that it's really reached its potential yet. But I really prize financial inclusion and I really prize the ability to access work from no matter where you are. And so those are the, the values that I hope will be, see accelerated, but I am one small actor in the Ethereum space, which is tens of thousands of people at this point. I really like that framing. I mean, the whole reason I'm kind of on this podcast is because I'm interested in sustaining open source. And a lot of the time I wonder, why do I care? Right. Like what is open source? A lot of it is just independent people spending their free time, not spending time outdoors or connecting with themselves. Maybe they're a hobbyist. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're doing well. Maybe they're yeah. not dealing with issues that they don't want to deal with. And then seeing big corp enterprise profit off it. And it's like, well, why, why does that matter? And then I remember that, oh, the reason I'm so blessed in my own yeah. life to have the things I have is because I have a middle class livelihood that's been funded by my work in open source. And I've seen yeah. other people rise and like actually get better lives. You know, there are stories of people we've had on this podcast who have actually just been able to feed themselves basically by having open source exist. And so yeah. seeing the crypto as a natural extension of that, I think is a really good framing and that's totally something worth doing, which is really awesome. So I just want to say thank you for sharing your perspective. I really like talking to you because it makes me remember that underneath the grizzle, there's still like some hope going on in the world with development at the moment. Yeah. Sorry, that was a very Justin Dorfman-esque comment where it's just like <laughs> excitement and not really a question. <laughs> I, yeah, I do well, have a question. So Nadi Eggball just came out with a book. And yeah. the book is called... Working, working in Public, Working right? in Public, right, yeah. yeah. And I'm reading through this book and, they, and she talks about an interesting problem that maintainers face. 
initially. And I think the idea behind open source is that the more people that collectively work on a project, the better it's going to become. In reality, what it is, is that the more people that work on a project, the more pressure is put on that maintainer or those maintainers to ensure that the quality of those contributions are accurate. And they're actually finding a negative impact of contributions of contributors because the quality is not there. So yeah. when that relates to Gitcoin, and I think, I think I also, let me just clarify real quick with Gitcoin, that Gitcoin is a bounty platform, at least that part. Gitcoin has a product, it's a bounty platform where somebody could post a bounty on a GitHub issue, and then that is broadcast to the Gitcoin network, and then developers can come in and basically on, it, yeah. on this and contribute. The question is, what's the maintainer's view on that? Is yeah. that providing quality or is that providing quantity? I'm actually two chapters into Nadia's book, and I, I read the conclusion, and then I came back and I read the third chapter. So... I was thinking about how naive I was when I first started Gitcoin and I thought, oh, if I just send more contributors to these projects, it'll, it'll help solve things. But yeah, there's a bus factor in open source and maintainers. There are one or two really solid maintainers for most open source projects, not all. And Nadia is like an anthropologist of open source. I mean, it's amazing the detail through which she's cataloged these issues. And one of the things she said was that even when contributors are coming to these repos is that they're not providing quality contributions. And if they do, they're like drive-by contributions and they don't come back and they don't promote to maintainers, which sort of, I don't know, for me, it would grizzle me against helping people out too much. So I think that we've done two things. Half of Gitcoin's gross marketplace value, that $6 million has been through a product called Gitcoin Grants, which is focused on the maintainers and providing them financial ability to sustain themselves. And the bounty product has kind of evolved into a hackathon product. So basically, we are now a virtual hackathon provider. And the virtual hackathons are basically a way for you, if you're a crypto ecosystem, to pump developers into your ecosystem. And what that does is it changes the amount of onboarding and marketing that we can do for your issues. But also, it allows us to really coach the maintainers on where it's useful to add more maintainers. If you're doing security bounties, great. You know, to a thousand eyes, all bugs are shallow. If you're building an API and you want people to bang on top of that API, great. That's a great place to have people build on top of your API. That's a great place to, to do a virtual hackathon. But if you're trying to do a heart transplant on your system or you're doing something that requires access to your servers, probably not a good use for bounties. So we're a power tool and the hackathons are a power tool and we just kind of guide people towards the use cases that work and away from the ones that don't. And, and I think that the promotion of contributors to more maintainers and reducing that bus factor is still an unsolved problem. And I hope that someone figures it out because I haven't figured out a way to do it yet. I appreciate that. So earlier you mentioned that Gitcoin is processed. How much money has flown through your platform? You go to gitcoin.co slash results and check our live stats page. It's like five point. Nine, eight. Oh, we're going to cross 6 million and then probably over the weekend. So I'm pretty that, excited about that. Let's yeah, say 6 million. That is absolutely incredible. And as a full disclosure, CodeFund, which was the company that I worked with, was part of Gitcoin. And so Kevin and I do have a background and Kevin's an amazing guy. So you got a lot of money pumping through your platform and the intention is to sustain open source. Is that focusing primarily on blockchain projects right now? Yeah, we're pretty focused on blockchain projects. And I think the name sort of betrays that focus, Gitcoin. 
For sure. So I guess my question is, do you see this type of technology or this idea moving into more of a global landscape with all sorts of projects? I think that there are some things that I think are going to work in the broader ecosystem of people who don't care about blockchain and all of the things that come along with it, like having a wallet and backing up your private key and broadcasting transactions and all that stuff. There's a, there's a group of software developers that really cares about the details of that. And there's a group of software developers that just couldn't care and just want to be paid in US dollars. And so I think that we haven't figured out how to crack that nut with all of our products. We have two major products right now. We have hackathons and we have Gitcoin grants. Gitcoin grants is kind of like a crypto Patreon. And we basically have done about two, two and a half million dollars out of each of those products. And we actually recently launched a white labeled version of Gitcoin grants that was designed, it was called Downtown Stimulus. And so what it was, was it was a version of Gitcoin grants that was designed to help with the local economic recovery in Boulder, Colorado. So if you're a retail business, you've really been hit hard by COVID, right? And so what we did was we took Gitcoin grants and we skinned it to only accept credit cards, no crypto, no version of Gitcoin, or like no even like mention of Gitcoin on the, on the site because this audience doesn't care about crypto, nor should they. They should be focused on paying their rent and paying their employees. And we successfully raised $38,000 in that campaign last month. And so Downtown Stimulus worked in Boulder, Colorado. And we're talking about franchising that out to do it nationally because I think it's really important to support small business in this really trying time. And so that's one small glimmer of hope that we can take some stuff that's worked in the blockchain space and make it work in, let's call it the mainstream. But I think that you know some of the stuff that we're doing is just too complex and there's regulatory hurdles and we won't be able to transpose into the mainstream yet. So I'm keeping my eye out for things that are ready to go mainstream and would really like to come back to sustain next year. And instead of $6 million in rewards for crypto, have done $60 million in rewards for all open source software developers. And so put a pin in that and ask me in August, 2021, where we're at. Do you have a place that we can read more about downtown stimulus in Boulder? Yeah, just go to downtownstimulus.com or check out DT Stimulus on Twitter. Let's face it. Your code is going to have errors. Even code written by such an outstanding, meticulous, totally awesome developer such as you. But when bad things happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error, uptime, and cron monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform, saving you time and cash. Honey Badger monitors and sends error alerts in real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding in your code so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go AWOL or silently fail. Go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh, and Ben created the 100% bootstrapped monitoring solution. Why is this important? Self-funding means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than a venture capital overlord. Sustained listeners get 30% off for six months. Simply mention Sustain when signing up, and they'll apply the discount directly to your account. No credit card required. Use Honey Badger. It'll make your DevOps awesome. One of the things that we talked about before you came on this podcast is learning a bit more about cool things going on in the space right now. 
I'm curious, what is QF? Quadratic function functions? Quadratic funding? What, what what's going on? <laughs> QF stands for quadratic funding. And it's the work of this economist named Glenn Weil. And he wrote a paper with Vitalik Buterin, who's one of the co-founders of Ethereum, about the optimally democratic way to fund public goods. So public goods is a category of problems where there's a good that everyone consumes, it's non-excludable and non-rivalrous. So that means that I can't exclude you from consuming that good. And also my consumption of that good doesn't stop Eric from consuming that good. Turns out open source software is exactly that. Everyone can consume open source software and my consumption of open source software doesn't stop Eric or Justin's ability. What to, else is that? I'm in Colorado, clean air, clean water, cool. transportation, national security, things like that. Things that like typically the government would fund. And so basically, you know, I'm beating around the bush, but I'm just telling you that like quadratic funding is a really well-positioned problem for open source software. And, but there's also a ton of potential for this to go into the mainstream. And so basically what it is, is a way of raising matching funds that are distributed along with a crowdfund according to the number of contributors more so than the amount that the contributors raise. So if Gitcoin grant A raises $100 from one contributor and Gitcoin grant B raises $100 from 100 contributors, so $1 each, then Gitcoin grant B will get like 98% of the matching funds because it has more contributors. So the democratically optimal way to fund public goods. And so like the reason why it's democratically optimal is because it optimizes for the number of people, not for what the rich people like. And what's really cool about this is that it gets over one of the really hard problems of public goods, which is called the free rider problem. The free rider problem is, well, I'm going to breathe clean air regardless of whether I contribute to this. So why should I care about contributing to your clean air campaign? What quadratic funding does is there's this economic formula that it goes through. And when you contribute to grant B, it'll tell you contribute $1 in this grant will get $15 in matching from the central pool. It all depends on the formula and the amount of the matching pool. But we've seen in Gitcoin grants, there was a Gitcoin grant last round where if you contributed $1, the project would get $350 worth of matching funds. So it gets over the free rider problem with public goods and open source software is, is a public good. So anyway, it's really powerful. It's not easy to explain in less than 60 seconds, but I think quadratic funding is one of those things from the blockchain space that that we could we could use outside of the blockchain space to fund open source software, and uh, I think we proved well, we actually used it in Downtown Stimulus, and I think that's the reason why Downtown Stimulus was was a successful project. So, we'd love to to see that in more places. So I'm I'm curious, who decides where the backing money comes from? Like, where's that three hundred fifty dollars come from, and who decides that? Right. So how does that distribute it? You say like it it changes. Yeah. So. Right now, the government just injected several billion dollars into the U.S. economy, and the government is typically charged with the public good, at least you know, we're getting into politics here. But you know, well, and, and in a blockchain ecosystem, there's foundations that are set up to accelerate the Ethereum ecosystem, the EOS ecosystem. And so basically, in the Ethereum space, the Ethereum Foundation has a grants fund, and the grants team is really great, but they can only process on the order of like 10 to 20 grant applications per month. So what if you push the power out to the edges and you let your community decide what to fund, not only does that, that push the decision out to the edges, the Ethereum Foundation gets to measure which projects their community cares about, their community co-funds the projects along with them, 
and they can fund a thousand projects per quarter, 10,000 projects per quarter instead of just 10 to 20. So typically there's like a central player that would be like an NGO or a foundation that, that cares about this problem. And they could just do more with quadratic funding than they could with a, with like hiring a five person grant team. I just want to clarify when you say the, the government just pumped a lot of money into the economy, what happened there was mm-hmm. like the fed pumped a lot of money into the economy and the fed yeah. is an independent body, which is set up by the government at one point. And it's not like my Senator, you know, Senator Leahy or Bernie Sanders went and said, we need this money. And then it was pushed through because it's yeah. kind of out of their hands at this point. That's like the fed doing its own thing, which is just yeah. a weird part of the American system. Right. In this case, what you're saying with quadratic functioning is that it's basically NGOs and foundations that do these sorts of matching. And those foundations are actually set up in a way yeah. to sort of reflect the will of the community, but not all the time, right? Because you wouldn't say that the Node Foundation totally represents the will of the community. You would say it represents the will of the high stake players and a sort of privileged superset of the community, which is able, or yeah. subset of the community, which is able to actually sit on the foundation because I already have the privilege to be there, yeah. right? So occasionally they have a couple of seats open for community members. And it's really telling that yeah. they have these community member seats because the rest of the time it's like Microsoft, IBM, et cetera. And so it'll be yeah. the same here in the sense that you'll have foundations, which hopefully are more altruistic because the Ethereum Foundation, for instance, is set up in a way to be as minimal as possible touching on yeah. what Ethereum is and more like community centric. But yeah. it's still these foundations which sort of do quadratic funding. And I'm sorry, I spoke really yeah. fast and I get kind of heated about this, but did, did that come across? Yeah. That makes sense to me. I don't know anything about the Node ecosystem, but you know what I found is if you're at a point in your career in which you can make it to be an administrator of a foundation, then basically like, you know, you're maybe not as in touch with the people in the trenches who may be doing really great work and are really respected by their peers, but don't have access to, you know, to the grant application process or don't know how to go through the process. And so measuring do do your peers, do your peers respect this project is a really great proxy for which projects should be funded instead of having some like, I mean, in, in some ecosystems, these, these people become power brokers and they become really drunk on power. And I would never yeah. imply that about any of the people that I just mentioned, but that that is a tendency Same. of human nature where if people are always yeah. coming for you for money that creates leverage. So like it's avoiding that dynamic and pushing power out to the edges that I'm, I'm really passionate about. And I think that one of the really cool things about this is that if you open up quadratic funding, you just basically need the infrastructure for anyone to apply to create a grant and to accept money. And people will come out of the woodwork for it because it's like, oh, it's free money for stuff I'm already doing. And so I think that the psychology works really well in terms of growing an ecosystem, whether it's an early nascent ecosystem like the Ethereum Foundation, whether it's something that's been around for 20 years, like I'm assuming JavaScript and Node have been, or if it's something that's been around for 300 years, like the, the U.S. federal government and the U.S. states. So, yeah, that's cool. Thank you for clarifying. I mean, the reason I asked that is you said earlier it's really democratic. And for me, when mm-hmm. I think of democratic, I studied Greek for a few years at university, which was a massive waste of time. But one <laughs> of the things I learned was that, like, democracies come from this idea of you have a neighborhood who then elects someone who then goes forward. And in America, yeah. you see this represented in the sense we have career politicians who are supposed to represent mm-hmm. the people they would work for, but at the same time also make their own decisions in a weird way. And it's not really democratic. It's more of a polity or an oligarchy or an aristocracy or yeah. whatever you want to call it. And so I'm just trying to figure out a question which Eric so eloquently phrased in the chat much more than my incoherent ramblings have, <laughs> which is can quadratic funding be gamed and how is it gamed and how is it set up to be gamed in certain sure. ways? And it's, it sounds like you're trying to do the best you can with foundations and that these people work really well. And this is the best solution we have so far, but it's not exactly an anarchic, yeah. no ruler system, right? This is a bit of a, a, a change from only people who say have tokens can vote. Mm-hmm. Right? Now it's more, if you have a foundation, you can vote with dollars. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, well, I think that the key thing is that the foundations are supplying the money, but they don't have any say over where the money goes. The rank and file community decides where the money goes. So there's like a little bit of a bifurcation there. There's the foundation that's providing the money, but it's the community that decides where that money goes. And that's why I, I think it's democratic. But to actually answer your question, which is how can quadratic funding be gamed? So it optimizes for the number of contributors in, in terms of how the matching funds are distributed. And so that creates a natural economic incentive to make up new identities. I can give $5 under one identity, or I can give $1 under five identities, then I'm just going to make up five identities and get more from the matching fund. And so this is a category of problems called civil resistance, which is basically yeah. like civil, just anti-civil just means, can you prevent sock puppets from happening? And so on the internet, no one knows your dog. Isn't that the old like trite saying? So basically what you have to do is in the infrastructure provider who's doing the quadratic funding in the case of the Ethereum community, Bitcoin, you have to build anti-civil measures in. And so basically what we're doing is each grant now has a civil score. Each profile that signs up to Gitcoin now has a civil score. We do a bunch of fancy, complicated analysis of your profile and various things associated with your profile in order to figure out if you are a civil account. And so we're sort of building this infrastructure. We've done six rounds of Gitcoin grants, averaging about 250K per round. The last one was 500K. And each round, we designed the round for better civil protections, for more money, for better usability. We do it, we see, we, we gather the data and see what breaks, we get the feedback from everyone, and then we do another round of design and we, and we iterate on our civil mechanisms. So basically what I've done is like, don't tell anyone who's a bad guy in the Ethereum space this, but I've set up a bunch of honeypots and I just like watch people attack them and I'm like, oh, let's adjust the civil score associated with this. Yeah, so the TLDR is that civil attacks are like the Achilles heel of quadratic funding and you just need an infrastructure provider that cares enough to actually take the problem seriously, I think, to solve that. So, Kevin, if I were to talk to you and offer you things you really like, I hear you like croissants. I could potentially game the system by just sending one to your house every day and say, you know, I'm not a civil. You know, it's, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. So that's called a collusion attack, which is basically like, hey, like, <laughs> I've actually never heard anyone say, like, I'm going to collude by sending you a croissant. The contribute a dollar to your grant if you contribute a dollar to my grant. So I'm just going to run with that because the croissant thing is like an ad, ad Serbian. Well, actually it works really well. If you want to have good friends, just bring over pastries to their house in the morning and no yeah. one ever turns down sugar. Just saying life hacks. So, it works really well. Yeah. I'll probably try next time. I want to get on the sustained podcast. So maybe I know what to send you. <laughs> so, but, yeah. so that's, that's called a collusion attack, which is basically like, instead of making up a new identity, I will hijack someone else's identity with a quid pro quo. And so basically collusion attacks are another whole category of attacks that are not as existential as, as Sybil, but still important to, to handle, especially like in mass Sybil attacks. So like we actually found someone last Gitcoin grants round who was just giving out ETH to their community and just saying, send this ETH back to us in the form of the Gitcoin grant. That's like, you know, and I think yep. that they were like giving them like privilege access in the system in exchange for it or something. And so basically what we did was we, we tracked that ETH on chain and we saw that it all came from a central address. And then we just treated that central address as one identity in the system. And so it's about building those tripwires where, you know, I, I, the reason I noticed that they were giving out money to their community was because I saw it on Twitter and they were just like blatant about it. But like, you know, if I, if it happens through a channel that I'm not there, I just need to have the automated system smart enough to, to know about that, which is something that you can do in the blockchain space. And so that's sort of like one example of a collusion attack. 
There's also this thing called pairwise bonding, which basically what it does is it looks at all the permutations of contributors and it looks for groups of contributors that have only contributed to the same grant as each other. And then it sort of makes an assumption that those people might've been colluding with each other and dampens those contributions because of the pairwise bonding between those counts. And so in a way, a pairwise bonded quadratic funding is looking for people who would normally disagree with each other about what to fund and optimizing for those. So if you have groups of people who are contributing all in the same way, then it dampens those and it finds the people who are not contributing to the same grants and kind of elevates those by the inverse of the math mechanism. So pairwise bonding is another way to handle clues and attacks. Love it. So that's okay. That's all really useful. Thank you for answering how can it be <laughs> gamed. I'm sure it can be gamed in other ways as well. And you shouldn't tell anyone about that so that I can more easily do it. But one of the things I'm curious about is quadratic funding is an awesome system. How do I, as a lowly maintainer, get involved? So right now we're doing quadratic funding for the Ethereum ecosystem. I just want to quadratic funding all the things. Like if I could do that all the time, that's what I would do. So we're going to be doing it in other blockchain ecosystems, Zcash, Celo, Zilliqa, and a few others. I am talking to people in Web2 open source about how we could do it for Web2 open source, and we're not ready to announce anything. But if you're listening to this podcast and you want to see quadratic funding in the Node, Python, PHP ecosystems, like just send me a tweet, twitter.com slash Owaki, O-W-O-C-K-I. I would really love to hear it. I'd love to know there's organic interest in this. I think it's really powerful, but I'm also living in the Boulder bubble and the blockchain bubble and all of that kind of stuff. And so hearing from people who are outside of that bubble that, that want to see it would be, would be really powerful. And hopefully I'll have something to announce in the next month or so. I'm going to put you on the spot, Kevin, and I want you to commit to core infrastructure. What do you say? Uh, what kind of core infrastructure? Like uh, roads, roads and bridges? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like curl and open SSL. Yeah, those are really core infrastructure for the internet. And I am happy to commit infrastructure to doing quadratic funding and I can bring my civil score to the table. But what I really need is who's going to put up the money for that, those matching pools. And so I'm not well connected to tech giants. I'm not well connected to people who would normally do that. And so if this community can help hook up the funding for quadratic funding to do those type of grants, then let's party. Let's do it together. Love it. So I believe that most of the listeners of this podcast are probably people who already have semi-successful maintenance, open source careers going on. They're either people in Ospos or they're maintainers who are interested in the global ecosystem and how it's working. I don't think we have a ton of people on this podcast who don't know what HTML is, which is rather unfortunate, but probably just the nature of the abstractions we're talking about here. One of the things I'm curious about is you mentioned that, you know, the blockchain can help people get to middle-class lives and also remote work can do that. How can people go about from nothing to doing stuff with quadratic funding, using Ethereum, using Gitcoin, learning about DAI, if they don't know anything right now? Yeah. I mean, I think it's incumbent on us as the maintainers in the SustainOSS community to build that happy path that takes someone from not knowing about HTML to building the technical skills that they need to marketing those skills, to getting paid for those skills. And then there's an iterative cycle that we all go through there. And so, I mean, I think that you just asked the billion dollar question, or should I say the billion ETH question, since I'm the blockchain bro on the podcast. But I, I mean, I think that it's important that to help people get going through that virtuous cycle and, and through the happy path of earning. 
And I'm committed to building a platform that is non-extractive, that helps elevate people's careers. And we're starting to do that in the blockchain space. And, you know, I think the Open Collective is doing really great stuff in the open source space. Pia was an inspiration to me when I started here. Nadia is obviously an inspiration. Many people in the sustained community are an inspiration. I think it's going to take a village to get to that, to get to that happy path. All right. I think that nails it. And there's probably a good point to wrap this up. Kevin, people love you. I love you. Where can we find more about your stuff online? Sure. Yeah. If you just Google Kevin Owaki, I think I'm the only Owaki out there that's indexed on Google, believe it or not. And uh, if you search for Gitcoin, I've finally reached the point where Gitcoin, well, Google will not autocorrect Gitcoin to Bitcoin. So you will find Gitcoin.co, which is the website where we are delivering $400,000 a month to open source software. So just check us out at Gitcoin.co. I got to say as well, Kevin, you are a force of nature and the passion that you have is just so amazing. I really wish that the listeners could watch you talk about this. I'm so excited that people like you are out there pushing for these ideas to come out. And I'm just so, so, so excited for the future of blockchain and for the future of Gitcoin. I see. I'm really excited to keep tabs on what you guys have going on. Thanks. Well, we're all still standing on the shoulders of giants. That's what open source software is. And I got here because of open source. And if I can elevate the next generation of builders, then that's what it's all about. Speaking of which, that's a great segue to Spotlight, the part of the show where we talk about projects that have meant a lot to us in the past or that need a bit more light or upon whose shoulders we have stood. So, Justin Dorfman, what do you got for us today? Inspired by Dave Gandy, episode number 41, I download this app called NOM, and it's a weight loss app designed by psychologists and scientifically proven to create real sustainable results. So I've, you know, I've tried so many different diets and all that other stuff. And I just wanted to try something that was different. And so far I really, really enjoy the program and we'll see how it goes. So nom, N-O-O-M.com. And no, I'm not getting paid. (laughs) Thank you so much, Justin. Eric, what do you got? I think the thing that I'm going to point out that is probably the most top of mind for me is is Kevin's hair. I hate him. So I've known Kevin for about three years, and he's had this beautiful long mane of hair, and then he cut it off, and it just went away. And then it seems like that happened very recently, and now he's on the podcast again, and his hair's down to his chest. (laughs) So it's my pandemic hair. You have a magnificent mane. Don't lose it. (laughs) I'm so jelly. I, I'm going to clip that and send it to my wife who about three times a week is like, where are you going to get a haircut? And I say, no, it's my pandemic hair. So Kevin, what, what shampoo do you use? <laughs> <laughs> whatever my wife, whatever my wife buys, whatever shows up in my shower. Great in that answer. case, Eric's thing is whatever shampoo Kevin uses. Thank you so much, Kevin, for sharing whatever your <laughs> wife buys brand TM. <laughs> Taking a left turn, uh, my spotlight today is Awesome Remote Job. This is a repo run by Lucas Madon, L-U-K-A-S-Z-M-A-D-O-N. I've been co-maintaining it or maintaining it, whatever you want to call it, for the past ever. I think we have like 20,000 stars now. And if you want an awesome remote job or if you have resources that are awesome and remote, add them because it's open source. And I regularly go through and close issues from people who just put it in their job boards without saying anything. And that's the highlight of my week. So awesome remote job. 
it's a pretty awesome resource with tons of stuff about how to work remotely, most of which came pre-COVID. I would kind of want to redo the entire thing and make a new post-COVID remote work. And what does that mean for our lives? But haven't gone around to doing that yet. Kevin, what's your spotlight today? My spotlight is Ethereum. People think it's just ICOs. It was ICOs in 2017 because Ethereum is a platform for fully programmable money in the internet of money. It's a permissionless platform where you can build anything. And so in 2017, the thing that was in vogue was to build ICOs. And now people are jamming on the idea space of what could you build if you could build anything with programmable money and the internet of money and build a worldwide economic network. And so if you haven't taken a look at Ethereum since 2017, I just want you to know that it's not just ICOs. There's lots of really great stuff being built. There's also some people, it's a neutral platform. So there's people who are using it to scam you. So be careful when you get into it. But not all Ethereum projects are scams. Many Ethereum projects are doing really great things. And I think that the really cool thing is that you can walk into a hackathon and build a financial network, a financial system that 10 years ago would have taken $50 million in a team of 100 programmers in a bank to do because of open source software. We're building open source money. And so I think that the technology is really great, but also the community is really amazing because it's an inclusive community of dreamers, thinkers, and builders that's worldwide and is welcoming and wants to take the financial system that we inherited from the baby boomers and make it into an open source financial system. And so I'm really excited about what Ethereum is doing, and I'm on an Ether binge. You should check it out. The Zcash mascot is a zeal of zebras. It's not a single zebra. It's a zeal of zebras, largely because people in the blockchain space speak like zealots. And Kevin, you're no exception. (laughs) I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that your enthusiasm shines through, as Eric points through earlier. Thank you so much for being on this podcast as the blockchain bro. We really appreciate it. And we're looking forward to seeing how open source moves and changes with the power of Gitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hashtag sustain OSS. Yes. Thanks, y'all.